Welcome to Valley Point Church and welcome to Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is the day in the liturgical calendar where it launches what is commonly called Holy Week. A lot of people also refer to this as Passion Week or the week leading up to the arrest, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's on this day where Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem on a donkey in a triumphal kind of way, and the crowds went wild as they welcomed him with style. Sherry, the significance of this day, Palm Sunday, and what it initiates, it can't be overlooked, right? Yeah, I love Palm Sunday because there's so much symbolism in it. it like, every little detail is, is symbolic of something, and so much of it is about fulfilling the messianic prophecies that are scattered throughout the Old Testament. And the Jewish people would have known to look for these things. They were waiting. They had been waiting for hundreds of years for That's the right. Messiah to come. And now they've been murmurs, you know, during Jesus's active ministry. And now it's all kind of coming to a head. It's all kind of culminating. Mm. And he enters the city through the gate of mercy, riding on a donkey, this symbol of a conquering hero who is now bringing in an age of peace. And they laud him as a king. They're recognizing this is a kingly right. figure. And they meant that in a really literal sense. They were standing in the streets chanting, save us. Hosanna. Right. And the people were really um, interested, the ones who hadn't quite believed, they hadn't quite made up their minds, all the attention, it says, of the whole city turned to mm -hmm. Jesus in this event. And I always sort of pictured in my mind as like, it's the eye of Sauron turning <laughs> and focusing on right. Jesus um, and how public this was that they were saying, yes, this is our king. This is our savior, mm. and he is the one who will free us from oppression and bring us peace. And really, the anticipation and the excitement, it's almost indescribable right. how high expectations were. And it's really setting us up for the twist that is going to come in just a few days where the Roman leaders and the Jewish leaders of Jerusalem are going to twist this situation around mm -hmm. and they are going to humiliate Jesus. Right. They are going to strip him of his perceived power and they are going to crush him like a bug mm. and they're gonna kill him in a really shameful way. And the jubilation and the high expectation of Palm Sunday really sets up how dramatic that was to have that happen. Right. And then it also gives us perspective on Easter then when he rose. It's like the twists just won't, That's right. they won't stop coming. <laughs> and he rose and we began to realize he is the king, mm -hmm. but not of Israel. He's the king of our hearts. Mm. And he didn't deliver us from Rome, but he delivered us from our sins. Yeah, which is so much better. So much better. <laughs> and he has brought in and established a new kingdom on earth, mm. but it is not a kingdom of Israel. 
it is the kingdom of God. Right. And he is inviting us to step into that kingdom and to participate in that kingdom here and now. And that's uh, just an amazing, yeah. amazing thing. A shocking week in the life of Jesus that starts with this triumphal entry, turns, there's sorrow and sadness and devastation, especially for the followers because, well, he's dead mm -hmm. and the dream is over. But we'll get together next Sunday to once again celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive. So as we walk through this week, here's a challenge for us as a church. Be mindful of and just remember everything that Jesus walked through for you and allow that to make you and us a better together kind of church, okay? And we have an event on Friday and an event on Saturday. And again, we'll come back on Sunday to think about how Jesus lives. So just allow all of this to help you be better together in your friendship with Christ and certainly in your relationships with each other. So speaking of better together, we have been in this two-month theme, really, of thinking about how God has called us. And I really believe that to be true. God has called us, Valley Point Church, to function in a better together kind of way. And that means a few things. Like we care for each other. And we forgive each other, even when we don't want to. And we love the irritants around us. And we generously share and provide. We celebrate together like what we have done today. And we also rally around a God-honoring purpose. We want to wrap this up today. And Tanya and Sherry are here to help me do that. So will you welcome them? Can we do that? Okay, big idea. We've talked about this. And we've been talking about it for eight weeks now. Let's be better together. Let's move beyond talking and let's actually do it. Let's be better together. Let's be that kind of faith community. So, Tanya, as you have walked through this, what has challenged you? I was definitely challenged the week that you talked about loving those who are the irritant. Right. in our life. Uh, I think that this past year, we have just seen so many strong opinions about politics and mm. racial issues and COVID and leadership decisions. And I felt like your words of loving those that are irritating just came at a perfect time. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we all feel the weight of this in our community. Uh, I know I feel the weight of this where I work at Urban Promise, and I know that I'm not alone. Uh, we all feel that pull and the tension with friends and work and family as we talk about politics and racial issues and COVID and leadership decisions. But the challenge is that when we hear things that we disagree with, some things we agree with, other things we disagree with. When we hear those things, behind all of those opinions are people. Mm. And they are people that we love or they're people that someone loves. And just the reminder that God has called us to love others. That's right. That's what he wants us to do. 
And as I was thinking about this, uh, can I love those that I disagree with that are irritating to me? If I can't, maybe I don't love God quite as much as what I think I do. Matthew 22, 37 through 39 says this. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Writer Les Perrette says in the book, Love Like This, grace is by definition unfair. It doesn't make sense, and that's the point. If you want to love like Jesus, you can't limit your love to the people who deserve it. Yeah, which is really kind of shocking to hear. Grace is actually unfair. But that's good news for us, though. So I asked both of you to research and dig into Scripture and find your favorite verse or verses related to being better together. It could have been something from the theme or something that you found in your own time. So let's dive into Scripture. Let's study. Sherry, what did you find in terms of better together verses? Well, I've been thinking about First John a lot lately because that's our theme this year in Real Women. We've been studying it for months, so it's just on my brain. A quick commercial. Real Women is meeting again this Saturday, 9 to 11, right here in this building. You do not have to sign up. You can just show up, and um, each one is standalone, so you won't miss anything. Um, You can just come and join us as we talk more about love and light, which is our theme this year. So the verse that I wanted to um, read today is 1 John 4.12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. And I think that's so powerful because what do you think the full expression of God's love looks like? Mm. I mean, John's just been writing about how God is love. That's who he is. And he's just been writing about how Jesus died to save us because of love. And then he says, but when you love each other. That's the full expression of my love. Mm. And we sort of refer to love as a noun, but in its essence, love is a verb. That's right. Love has someone who gives and someone to whom it is given. Mm. And so love really requires community to function. And this community that God is talking about, the verse, um, it's, the, it's talking about God's presence and the manifestation of God in this world. Mm. His love is brought to full expression in us when we love each other. So if we are part of God's family, if we live in God and God lives in us, we are that community. That's right. And we don't have to get it all right, and we don't have to be perfect. Um, John also says, as you grow in love. Mm -hmm. So clearly this is something that, you know, we're not going to get right the first time we try it, but it's still something which we need to participate in. And if we can just imagine, what would it be like? What would it be like if we were part of a community that loved us Mm -hmm. 
and supported us and looked out for us and gave us good feedback and encouraged us and built us up and helped us to accomplish our goals and helped us to be the best version of ourselves. How amazing and incredible would that be? Mm. And that is what this verse is talking about. That kind of community is the full expression of God's love. And I can't think of anything that illustrates better together Mm. more than that. It's fascinating to think that we, as followers, as apprentices, have the opportunity to be the full expression of God's love as we actually care for each other. That's amazing. it It is amazing. And I think this verse is a promise, too, because... He is saying, you can do this. You can participate in this. And it just blows my mind. Yeah. Okay, Tanya, your verses. As you think about being better together, what did you discover? Well, to answer uh, this question, I was trying to think of which was my favorite week, which I would say all of them, because that's what I'm supposed to say. But (laughs) I do have uh, one that I really did like, and... uh, it was when you talked about apprenticing after Jesus is being willing to generously serve and sacrifice for each other. And I love the verses that you shared in 1 Peter 4, 8 through 10, which say, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. And these words also, like Sherry, reminded me right away of the study that we are doing at Real Women. And I went right away to 1 John. And I just think that these words tie in so well. 1 John 4, 7 through 11 say, Dear friends, Let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love one another. And I think this is such a beautiful description of love. And here we see in verse 9, God showed how much he loved us. Love is visible. How is love visible? Mm. How do we do that? I think visible love can play out in many ways, but I think it fits in with better together in being willing to generously share and sacrifice for each other. In uh, the book, uh, Falling Free, Shannon Martin, the author, says this, community in its purest form is anything but pure. It's noisy, inconvenient. It demands we come to painful terms with the persistent cultural lies of independence and self-sufficiency. 
both of which run contrary to the gospel. She goes on to say, vulnerability is the glue of community. And I think that we need to remember as we come together and we serve together that it's not going to be perfect (laughs) because it's us. (laughs) We're all just a little bit of a mess. And so we need to remember that. Your takeaway from that week was engage. And I didn't even have to go back and look that up in my notes. I remembered engage. That is what makes us better together. One of the last serving love days that we had before uh, everything shut down for COVID, I was at uh, Naming Creek Manor Nursing Home. And we were there singing Christmas carols. And I got to stand next to a cute young family who had a baby girl in their arms. And uh, this little girl was ready to move. So the parents were holding her and singing. And it was just a beautiful picture of visible love because they were there. And they were singing to those residents. And their little girl brought them joy. And I've just been reminded of that, thinking back on that day, that that may have been one of uh, the last little ones some of those residents saw for many, many months. But they took the time to engage and to be there. Hopefully soon, we will all get to be engaged again in those serving love days. And parents, as we do, let's remember that it's okay when we take our kids to love day, that they're a mess and that they're noisy, and maybe we drag them along and they have bad attitudes. That's okay. (laughs) That's real life. And when we come together and when we serve together, that creates that glue, that vulnerability in us, creates that glue that we need for community. That's right. Tanya, I have a question. Can I come to Love Day too if I have a bad attitude and I'm yep. cranky? <laughs> yep, it will fix it. Of course. Come, come anyway, work on that. Of course. <laughs> so throughout this theme, we have used this phrase, apprenticing with Jesus, which means to follow him, to do what he did, to learn under him, to listen to him. Your thoughts on apprenticing with Jesus, Sherry? It's a great idea because it just, life makes more sense to us when we can see someone else doing it well. Because then we see, ah, it's possible. Mm -hmm. We can learn to do it, work on doing it, because there's someone who already did it and showed us this is how it goes. Anything we want to imitate, it's so much easier if we can observe someone else doing it versus just being handed, you know, like a list of rules. That's right. This is why Ikea furniture and Lego boxes come with illustrations, right? Yes. Can you imagine opening the box? It's like, here's 300 pieces. Good luck. Right. Make that into something beautiful. And the whole idea of apprenticing is that we learn to do what Jesus did. Um, It's like the 4-H motto, learn by doing. It's yet another level of my nerdiness. I was a 4-H kid. (laughs) Learn by doing. And that means we are not spectators. We're not flipping up the feet on our easy chair and eating popcorn and watching other people do it. And we're not commentators. 
We're not just sitting there watching and, you know, reporting on the action. And we're not critics. We're not analyzing and judging, commenting, well, that worked, that didn't work, they should have done that differently. We are getting involved. We are learning how to do it ourselves. When you are a student, you pick up a pen and you take notes. But when you're an apprentice, you pick up the tools and you do the work yourself. Um, and I always think of, like, if you're training to be a doctor or a surgeon, you know, they don't just hand you a scalpel and say, good luck, uh, I'm getting some coffee, we'll come back and see if the guy's still alive later. No, they, they stand there with you and they encourage you and they guide you and they teach you and they help you to learn what it is you need to do while you're doing it. They don't leave you. And that's what's so amazing about Jesus. He didn't just show us the way and lead us by doing it. He stays right with us right. as we learn. And he's encouraging us and he's guiding us and he's helping us to figure out how we can do that mm. as well. Mm. God with us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, apprenticing, your thoughts on that word. So apprenticing after Jesus reminds me that it's very valuable to take the time and also that it, it's a lot of work, <laughs> that this is uh, never ending. It's something we need to just continue doing. Uh, but anything that has value, we sacrifice for. When we think of a great athlete, they have to practice hard and give up junk food. Uh, when we think of a student getting a degree, it's a lot of study hours. Uh, to be successful at work, we put in hours. To be an apprentice of Jesus, mm. it's going to take us time and work. Uh, when I was looking up apprenticing and reading about it, I learned that the opposite of apprenticing is furlough. And I know that I don't want to take a break from God, so I need to just keep on mm -hmm. this journey and keep working and keep learning. Uh, it takes time and it's work, but that lifelong work that we do, I think we find hope, joy, and purpose more in apprenticing after Jesus than any other way. That's where I find it. Yeah. This is interesting because last week we talked about how the human instinct, especially when there has been a failure of some kind is to run and to hide from God and even community or to furlough. Mm -hmm. But yet apprentices are called to not furlough. Don't do that. Instead, learn from and be with this God who has chosen to be with us. That's really fascinating. Which leads us to this. Uh, apprenticing is something we do in community with others. So it's not an isolated thing. We do it with other people. But that takes a lot of time and work, as you mentioned, and we're so busy going and doing and accomplishing things that sometimes this can get pushed to the side. And I think it's interesting right now that you can feel the pace quickening a bit with mm -hmm. life as we move further away from the onset of the pandemic. Like things are starting to really get busy again. 
And I came across some research entitled, Why Americans Are So Impressed by Busyness. And I shared this with the two of you. It's fascinating. In the early 1900s, the most powerful way to signal your status in the eyes of others was through leisure and less work. So if you had a lot of leisure time and you had less work than the people around you, then you were probably high status. Okay, fast forward now to the 21st century. Busyness and lack of leisure are the new measurements. So this particular group did a series of studies and they found that the busy person is perceived now as high status. These status attributions are heavily influenced by our own beliefs about social mobility. In other words, the more we believe that one has the opportunity for success based on hard work, the more we tend to think that people who skip leisure and work all of the time are of higher standing. Thus, by telling others that we are busy and working all the time, we are implicitly suggesting that we are sought after, which enhances our perceived status. So busyness not only takes away from our leisure and our rest, I think busyness also has the potential to really hurt our friendship with God and our ability to apprentice. Because, as you mentioned, being better together, apprenticing with Jesus, it doesn't just happen. We need to prioritize And I would say even schedule it and put it on the calendar as an event. Which means, and we don't always like to hear this, we probably have to eliminate hurry and move away from busy. How hard is that, though? Maybe it depends on your personality, but for me, it's hard. Yeah. It's so hard. I got things to do. And this idea of slowing down is really good for me. It's really helpful for me because I really do think we are more deliberate, we're more effective, and we have more energy when we avoid hurrying, we avoid rushing around. I feel like rushing around really can destroy our intentionality. And I know it does for me. Unfortunately, I have a daily reminder about the importance of margin. I actually um, came home from driving my daughter to school and back. And um, I wrote down tailgating, a lesson in margin. (laughs) Where I grew up, there are not a lot of cars on the road, but there are a lot of road hazards. And so it's very important to leave a lot of distance from other drivers if you want to, you know, not die. So... I still have not gotten used to how casual people are around here about just snugging right up to the back of your car. <laughs> so as I'm... Nobody I, in this room does that, though. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> Nobody. So as I'm driving and I'm starting to get anxious and sort of itchy that somebody is too close, um, I say to myself, self, that's how I, that's my own nickname for myself, self, I say self. This is your reminder Mm. of the importance of margin in your life that you need to slow down. Not while I'm driving. I'm not trying to irritate anybody any worse than it is. 
but in life to slow down mm -hmm. and to make sure that there's margin because if I don't have enough margin in my life, I'm not going to be able to react the right. way I want to when things happen. And things are always happening. There's always something unexpected or someone um, who's messing up my schedule. It's always going to happen. And I need to have the emotional space. I need to have the mental space. I need to have the time to react to those things the way that I really want to react to them. Because if I don't have enough margin, I am just, I'm gonna crash into whatever that right. situation is. Whatever that circumstance is, I'm just gonna crash into it. Uh, you know, hopefully there's not gonna be too many casualties. You know, or I I'm gonna veer off of the path that I really wanna be on. I'm gonna end up over here in the ditch and it's gonna take me longer to get back on track to where I'm going. So I think we can't, for myself at least, we can't overstate the importance mm -hmm. of margin and how that allows us to be intentional. It allows us to stay on the path that we want to be on and get to where we eventually want to be because we are able to be intentional. Yeah, margin matters because it allows us to adjust. Mm -hmm. Okay, eliminating hurry, what do you think? So I know for me personally, I don't accomplish a lot unless it's on my calendar. There are two <laughs> in our house, one hanging up and one that's mine personally. And unless it's on the calendar, I don't get it done. So for me to have time to be better together has to be on the calendar. That really helps me a lot. I feel like in this past year, all the extra time that we personally had at home and all the cancellations of things uh, helped me think more about our schedule and help me evaluate how do I really want to use my time and I want to invest in relationships more than just running from event to event. When I have conversations with people who come and say I want to deepen my friendship with Jesus. What does that look like and what does that mean? One of the things I often say is you need a personal worship time with God and a chair time where you sit down and you just meet with Jesus and you read scripture and you pray and you reflect. And I think you almost have to schedule that. So I encourage people, put it on your calendar make an alarm on your phone, have it be an appointment because what we put down and what we prioritize, what we create margin for is what we tend to do. So if we want to apprentice with Jesus in the right kind of way, we have to eliminate other things and even good things in order to mm -hmm. prioritize this so that we can be better together. Sherry, Robert Mulholland Jr., he's like a thought leader on spiritual formation and walking with Jesus. He says this, and I just want your opinion on it. Our growth toward wholeness in Christ is for the sake of others within the body of Christ, that we might mature one another into the wholeness of Christ. Our growth toward wholeness is also for the sake of others beyond the body of Christ, that the redeeming, healing transforming love of God may be made known in a broken and hurting world. Your thoughts on that challenge? It's a big challenge. 
I think it's really significant for us to remember how many times and how many different ways the Bible tells us God loved you first. Mm. God loved you when you were incapable of responding to his love. God loved you when you were actively resisting his work and his purpose in the world and his purpose for you. God loved you while you were yet his enemy, Romans says. That's right. And I think that's such a great example for us that because God loved us first, we can love others first. The Bible is very pointed in this discussion. It even says, God loves those who are unkind and ungrateful. Mm. And that's an example for us that we too can learn if we are living in God and God is living in us. He is helping us learn that we also can love those who are unkind and ungrateful mm. because that is what God has done for us. That's right. And he is inviting us to participate in the work that he is doing. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, and God has given us this task to reconcile the world to him. Wow. <laughs> what an invitation. He doesn't mm -hmm. need us to make that happen, but he makes space for us and he invites us to join him in that incredible work. Mm. What a privilege we have in joining God in his work and reconciling the world. It's amazing. Okay, Tanya, you get the final word. Encourage us, challenge us to be better together. <laughs> so earlier I read from 1 John, and uh, 1 John is written by John, and that towards the end of the New Testament, there's three little books, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And those little books take up just 2% of the New Testament. But in those three books are 20% of the words on love. Mm. And when we think about that, you think, okay, so the author John, what kind of a man was he? Was he loving all of the time? And there are three stories recorded in the New Testament that tell us he was far from love all of the time. In one story, uh, John asked Jesus to call down fire from heaven because the Samaritans wouldn't show hospitality to Jesus. So John had a lot Not to learn. Not very loving. No, no. In the Jesus Creed, Scott McKnight says this about John. For someone who spends his last days writing about love, 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 John sure fails when his love is tested. John may learn about love, but as a young man, he is crusty and cranky. But he does have something going for him. He spends plenty of time with Jesus. And maybe this is the key for us mm -hmm. as we think about moving forward from here. Next Sunday, we celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive, but being better together and apprenticing with him. Time with Jesus. Mm -hmm. Time with Jesus time with Jesus, it can change us into people who love God and certainly love others effectively. So we've talked about this for eight weeks now. Back to the big idea. 
let's be better together as a church. Let's be that kind of faith community. And may God give us the courage and the strength to live this way, to act this way, and to create margin in our lives to prioritize him so we together can be the full expression of God's love where we live, work, and play. May God help us to do that. Sherry, will you close us in prayer, please? Sure. Jesus, thank you for everyone who is here uh, with us today as we talk about and think about what it means that the God of the universe, the Father of lights, loves us. As we go through this week, Holy Week, help us to remember that you walked this difficult path for love. Help us to remember that you did it because you love those who are unkind and ungrateful. Help us to remember that you did it because you love us, those who have believed. Help us to remember that you did it because you love those who have not yet believed. As we live in you and you live in us, may we pick up our tools and join you as you work to reconcile the world to yourself. Give us an increased awareness this week that you are, as you promised, always with us. No matter what path we walk, whether we're paying attention to your presence or not, you are there. You are with us. You hold us in your love. We delight in your love, Jesus, as you delight in loving us. In your name we pray.